Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Springtime, Masters, Spring Football, Pollen. Welcome to the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Back with you after a, a short respite. I not been that long, but too long for us. Great to be back with you. Plenty to get to. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. And together, we collaborate each and every week to bring you some college football talk and a little bit beyond. This time of year, J.C., as we just wrapped up the national championship in basketball, the Final Four, uh, college baseball is going in full swing. I know that's what I've been doing. I've been bouncing around after wrapping up uh nit bouncing around from gosh uh, nashville lexington waco athens and a couple other spots in between so uh i haven't had a chance to see a whole lot of spring football on television you might have now i know this always brings me to my initial concern and that is that you just do not watch enough tv and i think (laughs) i i'm just i'm concerned i know there's plenty of other people that are telling telling our youth to read and you kids stay in school. But, uh, for, for us adults, uh, my campaign is movies have never been worse. So you will not see me go to the movies very often because unless you like movies about comic books, which I don't, I outgrew that when I was about 12, uh, there's not much there. And I don't like movies about aliens and vampires and that kind of stuff. Uh, so, but TV has never been better. We're, we're, this is this is like a great between Netflix and Hulu and HBO and Showtime and even regular traditional TV. It, it's never been better. So, JC, I'm still on a mission to get you to watch more television. Well, and have you added anything to your repertoire? Well, I'm, I'm going to start off with apologizing, Mike. I know you're heartbroken that there haven't been any Nicholas Sparks books <laughs> since The Notebook made into outstanding yes. films. I know that one with Channing Tatum and the girl that looked like she was 12 years old that made everybody feel uncomfortable was a bust. <laughs> um, but believe me, man, I follow Nicholas Sparks on Instagram, and uh, he's got some really great material coming out. So just cross your fingers. His day is coming. There will be a Nick- Nicholas Sparks movie Rebirth, and you'll be back at the cinema, my friend. I, I can't tell you how good that makes me feel. <laughs> I can't tell you. Uh, you know what I am trying to do? Because you're, you know, I, I pick on you a little bit on this, but I get picked on all the time because I, I've barely seen Game of Thrones. I've seen one season. So I got a whole lot of stuff to catch up there. Uh, I got into Billions. I'm way behind. I'm way behind on a lot of shows that, that, People in my kind of uh, circle all love. You never watched Game of Thrones, did you? No, I, that, that's one that uh, one week I'll just watch it and catch up on everything. Okay, that, that's a lot of binging. I think there's like uh, they're about to come up with the last season, but I think there's been <laughs> five or six. And I still haven't gotten you to watch uh, Last Chance You, which breaks my heart. 
And I, I just, I, I can't make it happen. I, I encourage people on Twitter to peer pressure JC, shame him into watching that. You know, you know what I was thinking today? I was driving around and I have satellite radio and I'm, I'm listening to, among other things, Channel 84. And then I go back and forth uh, and everything. I think Howard Stern is the best interviewer in the business. Um, Howard Stern and Dan Patrick, to me, by far and away, the best interviewers in our business. Doesn't matter who they're talking to. And so uh, when I when he's got somebody on, I'll listen, even if it's somebody I'm not that interested in. Today it was Chelsea Handler. I never watch her show. No. And it got, uh, so I really, but but because, because he's such a good interviewer, I actually listen to her. And then like after 15 minutes, I'm like, I really don't care about what she says about anything. But still, it got me to thinking. Like even when I was a kid, did you ever watch like? the late night shows like i mean when i was a real real kid and i was home for summer from school uh i watched even johnny carson and david letterman right i mean i would stay up as a 12 year old in july and, and watch david letterman at 12:30 this is before this is back when dave was really funny before he became uber politically uh inclined and extremely bitter man that you saw toward the end of his career at 11:30 on cbs but but that used to be like a big deal when we were in college and like the late night shows were that was a huge thing. And, and, and Letterman back in his heyday, if you were a college kid, that was funny stuff. And now I look at it and I thought about it the other day. I can't tell you the last time I saw five minutes of Jimmy Kimmel, of uh, uh, Stephen Colbert. Chelsea Handler, you've got you've got this other woman, uh, uh, something B. Samantha B, I don't know if she's ever said anything funny in her in her lifetime. And and they all basically like every show, like I get it. I I don't talk politics on here and 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 let me just say for the record, I've never had hatred in my heart for any president in my lifetime. You know, some I agree with policy more than others and some I like more than others. But basically they all write from the same joke book which is not even joke. It's just like spewing this venom toward Donald Trump. And, and it's like, if we get some comedy in the middle of it, great. This is kind of like Saturday night lives turned into another show. I don't watch anymore. So I was thinking like, I don't watch late night variety shows anymore because they're just not funny to me. It's, it's just like, like we get it. You hate, you hate this aspect of politics and you hate this and you hate that, but they're all writing from the, the, the same seven jokes every night. It's not even funny. And that's late night TV. So like I said, movies have jumped the shark. Late night TV for me has jumped the shark. So thank goodness for the creativity of the folks on a Netflix, on HBO and Showtime. That give, that's neither here nor there. It's nothing to do with the podcast. Just got me to thinking. Yeah, that's I mean, it. yeah. And look, to, to your po- original point, I have been watching more TV lately. I've uh, The Roman Empire on oh. Netflix has been what I've, uh, one of the things I've watched. I watched all of the show You, Y-O-U. Um, which if you're a single man out there, never, ever, ever act like that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like the plight of the ultra beta male and, oh, it, wow. and it's psychotic. I mean, it, it's awful. It's just like, you know, like even when I would hear him say something to his girlfriend that maybe I may or may not have said before to a previous girlfriend, I wanted to go back in time and kick my own ass because it was that bad. I was like, never say anything like this guy. But anyway, I watched that whole thing. Um, I watched uh, The Good Place is a good one. It has Ted Danson in it uh, of Cheers fame. Um, You know, uh, 
I watched uh, the movie, the Netflix movie, The Highwaymen, the other day with Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. It's oh, okay. about Bonnie and Cl- it's a Bonnie and Clyde movie. So I've I've, I've look I've I've looked around and um, you're taking it up a notch. Yeah, Roman Empire's good. I mean, I love the show, and it's on NBC, but it's also on Netflix. The Blacklist, and they moved it to Friday night, and that didn't work for me, so I didn't watch it for a couple of years. And a few weeks ago, I just binged like three seasons back to back to back. And now I'm fired up about it again. And I'm not going to watch it on Friday night. Now I'm going to wait for this season to get back on Netflix. so I can be excited. And of course I like Ozark and other things like that, but I'm I'm getting there, man. Okay. All right. I just, I want you to move into the same shallow dimensions that I reside in is what (laughs) I'm trying to, I'm not here to tell, this is not an after school special. I'm not telling you to go to the local library and brush up on the encyclopedia Britannica. I'm telling you, you need more good TV in your life, and, and it's out there. Uh, it, the, the whole we've had a paradigm shift in how we we consume it, uh, but uh, it, that part I'm happy to have. Even though I have virtually no life this time of year, I'm on the road every week, and and have like I said, got a lot of shows to catch up, and I'm I'm dealing with the plight that so many of Americans deal with, cable or direct TV. I've got to make a decision here soon because. For various reasons, for one, I can no longer get the Dan Patrick show on my cable company, and I don't want to watch it on Bleacher Report Live with all due respect to the fine work those folks do. Okay, now on to uh, lesser problems. Here's what we've we've got to catch up on. It is spring football time. I'm not going to go on my typical – I've broadcasted spring football games several times. Look, they are what they are. It's, it's, it's a two-hour window that gives you an excuse to talk about a program during the spring. You don't learn a lot from it. Um, nevertheless, there are some eyes uh, on things that happen. We're going to go over that. We're going to go over uh, a little bit of uh, SEC hoops for coaching changes. That was crazy because none of those guys were on the hot seat at the beginning of the year. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 the guillotine just started dropping left and right in the SEC. And uh, four hires, some curious, one in particular. Uh, the other ones I thought made a lot of sense. And uh, and Rick Barnes, Tennessee has ponied up. If you're ever wondering if the SEC takes basketball seriously, look at the money Tennessee just paid Rick Barnes. Look at the average salary of the SEC basketball coaches. It is no joke, my friends. Uh, and I'm not sure many people would leave an SEC school for UCLA right now. And Rick Barnes did not. Uh, and then we'll end with a little bit of fun. I, I, I came across just, uh, perusing the internet, something about the most disappointing teams of 2018. And I think the list is pretty interesting and maybe, um, maybe JC, uh, we can add some more to that list, but it just kind of gives us a good jumping off part. Everybody know, uh, college football. I hate to say it. We love it, but it has become insanely predictable and it, it is very much, uh, we are living in a world where we talk about the same half a dozen to 10 programs a year that actually have a shot at the national title. And then we wind up living in the same Alabama Clemson world that we've been living in. So we have to find something else that, to, <laughs> that's entertaining as well, because uh, it, it, we, we, what am I going to say? Like Clemson had their spring game. Okay. Uh, you, you got, you got the best quarterback in the country coming back. You've got ETN, who could be the Heisman Trophy leader, leading candidate as a running back coming back. You've got Ross at wide receiver coming back. Yes, they lost a lot of guys on defense, but they're going to be really good. Boring Alabama. Uh, yes, they've got 
yes, they lost some guys in the NFL draft like they do every year on defense, but they're still very good. They still yeah. loaded at wide receiver. Uh, obviously in good shape, but quarterback, same old, same old. I, there's, there's not much drama in those two programs. So what did we have? We had South Carolina, Vandy, Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU. Now there is drama in these particular situations because I don't know what South Carolina is going to be. Is it going to be a turn the corner year? I know you're all over that Vanderbilt. Is it going to be same old Vandy just struggling to get six wins and get into a tier three bowl game? They got a new quarterback, Arkansas, Arkansas intrigues the heck out of me. Uh, do we see the true Chad Morris impact this year? Who's going to be their quarterback? Ole Miss, two new coordinators, Matt Corral, the QB and LSU coach. Oh, he's got, he, he had the magic last year, but he's got some holes to fit in on defense this year. So go Tigers uh, and, and a new look offense. I might add. Uh, so let's take them one by one. South Carolina Bentley back his senior campaign last year, a little bit of a step back than what they had two years ago. What are we looking at in 2019 in your eyes? Yeah. Record wise, you know, this was a team that at the end of the year and, and I think the look, South Carolina is not the first team in the world to have a pathetic performance in a bowl game. Um, Losing to Virginia 28 nothing in the Belt Bowl was, I think, embarrassing for the Gamecocks. I, I, it's not embarrassing, I think, that Virginia won the game because I think Bronco Mendenhall did a good job of getting that team in position to be competitive and win uh, with what they had with Perkins at quarterback and some of the receivers, and they were fired up to be there, and the Gamecocks just laid an egg and a goose egg on the scoreboard up there in Charlotte. Um but if you're South Carolina, you're trying to build a program, it kind of stings. And if you're Will Muschamp and you're trying to shake the narrative of you can't score points, <laughs> getting shut out. And I think it's the first time South Carolina has been shut out in a ball game since 2006, maybe. It's been a long time. Uh, to get shut out by Virginia, I mean, you know, you look at how that season went last year. Gamecocks go on the road. They beat Ole Miss 48-44. The Florida game was 35-31. It it wasn't because they couldn't score points down there that they lost that ball game. Steve Spurrier says after the game, I told Will Muschamp, and he's he's an offensive guru coach now. Yep. (laughs) Um, And that was a good defense they had at Florida. You know, they, they put 49 on Chattanooga, which was expected. And then they go up to Clemson, Mike. Clemson had the number two defense in the country last time I checked. It was probably the best defense in in America, um, considering what they did at Notre Dame and Alabama in the playoff. And Jake Bentley throws for 510 yards and five touchdowns. They roll up 600 yards of total offense. It was 56 to 35, but they had the ball inside the seven-yard line twice and missed on fourth and goal. They execute those two. It's a touchdown game or a tie game in the fourth quarter thanks to their offense. So everybody's like, well, Will Muschamp, he's putting some points on the board. And, you know, their defense was decimated with injuries and and they had a lot of young players. So you think, well, hey, if they can score now, you know, and Muschamp can coach defense, they can can start winning, you know. And, And then you get shut out by Virginia in a bowl game. 70 miles from your campus on a bright sunny day where your fans show up. And that's, that put a bad taste in their mouth. Personnel wise, 
you know, Jake Bentley needs to cut back on his turnovers, especially the ones in the red zone. But he threw for 3,171 yards. He has 7,500 passing yards for his career. He'll leave South Carolina most likely as the all-time leading passer. And with every record that program has, except Todd Ellis's 73 interception <laughs> Ain't record, no one breaking that bad boy. It's going to stand the test of time. you got to try hard to throw 73 picks. <laughs> I mean, he would have to throw 43 interceptions next year to tie that record. Um and so that's all well and good. I think the knock on, on Bentley, and because Bentley's been the quarterback since Muschamp's been there for the most part, and Muschamp is, South Carolina beats the teams they're supposed to beat and loses to the teams that, you know, they expect to lose to, and that includes Kentucky now. Um, I don't think it includes Kentucky coming up this year, but I think the last five years it obviously has. Um you know, they beat Missouri, they beat Tennessee, they beat Vanderbilt. Every year they'll beat the West opponent. If it's weaker, if it's stronger, they won't. Uh, they'll beat Florida at home, but then they'll lose at Florida. Um, and then they'll lose to Clemson and Georgia. And, and so I think that's the, the issue. In South Carolina's schedule this year, I mean, you're looking at an opener against North Carolina, Mac Brown's return to football in Charlotte, and then Charleston Southern, which is – not an easy FCS team because of their offense. They come in, and then Alabama comes in. <laughs> and then you go to Missouri, and then Kentucky comes in. And then at some point on the schedule, they play Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia three straight weeks. Now, if this were the 90s, that would be brutal. But it's not. Um, they go to Texas A&M two weeks before the Clemson game. Uh, they play at Tennessee this year. Florida is in Columbia. They go to Athens. Um, and then Clemson is in Columbia as well. So, so you're talking about them playing three of the top five teams in the country. And you're also talking about Texas A&M and Florida, which I think, while I don't know if those teams will be top 10 at the end, I think they'll be preseason top 10, um, you know, plus a Missouri team where expectations are high with, with Kelly Bryant. So, so I think if you're, if you're South Carolina this year, you, you have better personnel. Um, there, there probably will not be a rash of injuries like there were last year. Um, you have some young guys who are really coming on. Um, if they can cut down on the turnovers in the red zone, get the run game going a little bit, um, I think they can have an eight and five type of year, maybe nine and four, um, and be a much better football team than they were last season. But the record just might not show it because it's it's asking an awful lot for this program to go beat one of Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. Now, two of those three games are at home. But, I mean, I just – that Alabama game, Mike, Bama plays like Duke. And for some reason – and, look, I'm not trying to beat up the Chick-fil-A kickoff, people, kickoff folks down there. But, but, look, there's a lot of SEC and ACC programs that have never played in that kickoff. How, how, why are you going and getting Duke and matching them up with Bama? at Mercedes-Benz. I mean, I, I, Duke's a great story. I respect David Cutcliffe, but come on, man. And then they play a cupcake, and then the first SEC game for the Crimson Tide next year is at South Carolina. Um, and that's a place they've historically not played all that great. But they're going to be spitting nails because of what happened last year at the end of the year. I don't think, and I think that, you know, if, if you consider they're going to probably beat the crap out of Duke and then the cupcake that they play the next week, they're going to be jacked up for that first big SEC game on the road. 
And I just don't, I, I just don't see how even if South Carolina plays a great game, that they're going to be able to match that. Um, and, and so I think it's asking an awful lot to say, well, they need to win eleven games this year or something like that, just because. I mean, every week. I mean, they have. They have. Is a, that what you're getting from the fan base that they they think this is going to be an eleven win team? No, I mean the the, the expectations in that that pro, at the program, and I keep my fingers on the pulses. Yes, they expect to go back to how it wow. was when Steve Spurrier was there. Probably maybe not this year. I think most look at the schedule and they're like, oh, but. Um, they play a, a non-conference game. Their other non-conference game is Appalachian State. If you've owned your car for a while, or maybe you got a great deal on a used vehicle that feels new to you, AAA has a vehicle protection plan that fits your needs and your budget. Let's face it, unexpected and expensive repairs can pop up. That's why AAA vehicle protection plans provide comprehensive coverage for maintenance and repair to take some of the risk out of driving a classic. Find out more about our vehicle protection plans at AAA.com slash vehicle plan. Are you hungry for the usual today? Or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville hot brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville hot seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville hot brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only. They scheduled Appalachian State the first week of November. <laughs> I, I'm well, like, who in the hell did that? I mean, you yeah. know, so come on. I, you know, I, I, I think the schedule is brutal. There's not, you know, there's not a lot of breathers. But I do think this team's good enough to win, you know, seven to nine games and, and build from there. Yeah, I, I don't want to take too deep a dive on depth charts and everything else, but I, I'll just take a macro on this, much like I will with the other teams in the – in the Eastern division, but South Carolina always falls kind of in that their own category. Um, Cause I do think Kentucky's going to take a step back and Vanderbilt who we'll get to in just a second is Vanderbilt and Missouri is Missouri. And on top of everything else, Missouri's got uh, NCAA things to worry about. Um, although I'm not so sure they're going to, they're going to get, they're going to be a bowl team anyway, in terms of eligibility, but nevertheless, uh, the, I think what, what you have to realize is the Eastern division had the worst stretch of time since they went to divisions in 92. Okay. Uh, when you had, you had Florida down, you had Tennessee way down, uh, Kentucky was Kentucky and, and Vanderbilt was Vanderbilt. And so, and, and Georgia wasn't Kirby smart. Good. Right. So, I mean, it, it was that the time was right to get three straight 11 win seasons, but it's not going to be that easy this time. I'm not saying it can't happen, uh, but I'm just saying that it's not going to be the same path. You are going to have to beat a better Florida team to get to 11 wins. You're going to have to beat a better Tennessee team to get to 11 wins, a better Georgia team to get to 11 wins. And obviously at some point you got to figure out that Kentucky enigma because for whatever reason, Kentucky seems to have South Carolina's number. So uh, yeah, again, it's just a, to me, it's a classic case. And I see this with so many fan bases, you take the high watermark, right? And you just assume that should be, that should be where the bar is. 
Like that should be where you are. It's like a, it's like a, a baseball pitcher whose his fastball sits at like 92, 92, 92. And then all of a sudden he gets really amped up during the middle of the game. And he fires one up there in 98. And you're like, Holy crap. Where did that come from? Well, and that's the aberration. You're not going to be able he can't throw 98 every, every pitch. And I don't think, I don't think South Carolina is a program that should be expecting 11 wins. Uh, not in this Eastern division. I, I just think the, the East had an absolute low point. And I think finally now, you know, I don't know if Jeremy Pruitt's a great coach, but I do know Tennessee is going to get better than what they were under the last couple of coaches, which was a disaster. Uh, Dan Mullen to me is a very good coach. I don't know if Felipe Franks is a great quarterback, but if anybody can squeeze blood out of that rock, it is Dan Mullen. And he did it last year. So it, it's just, it, and, and Georgia, look, Georgia, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, they, they are going to be the team to beat in that division for a while. Maybe at some point that gap closes, but they had too big of a head start for it to be like a two or three year situation where they get leapfrogged as, as the team to beat in the Eastern division. So that's my macro on that. What that means for Vanderbilt. I don't know. Vanderbilt had a spring game. If you want to call it that they do things a little bit different. I actually broadcasted one of those. It's uh, they don't really, <laughs> they're not looking for uh they're not really looking to put on a show. They're more about, it's kind of like a skill competition with a little bit of football in between, but you know, they lost Shermer at quarterback. So they got to replace him. There was some talk that coach Mason was on the hot seat last year. Uh, and, and then they, they get bowl eligible and he's doing his dance on the sideline and they go to a bowl game and, uh, they got a new AD at Vanderbilt who just hired a, basketball coach who's never coached in college so I, I don't know I don't know what the expectations are at Vanderbilt other than they'll try to get into a bowl game and and we'll see if they do it uh yeah I, I don't you know so the quarterback situation is a little bit interesting um I think that uh when you look at it Riley Neal is probably going to be the guy, and he's a guy that uh, was, um, you know, some people were talking about pro potential when he was at Ball State. His stats weren't overwhelming, but he certainly was a a player that, um, you know, was a little touted, and and he can run that system. Uh, I thought Kyle Shermer did a really good job. Uh, Their running back, what's his name? Kalijah. Uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, uh, no, not not Kalijah Sessions. No, the, the other, other back, one, the, the, the kid the from, Illinois, from Illinois. Uh, yeah, really, really good. <laughs> um, and it's probably going to be their workhorse this year. And then I do expect some defensive improvement because Derek Mason, the defensive guru, um, should be better on defense because they've been not been very good the last couple of years uh, in certain situations. So, you know, they run the ball and um, and. Uh, play D I, I think that Vanderbilt can conceivably get back to a bowl game. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's Vaughn. It's uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah. I, I I'm embarrassed that I forgot that because I actually did because one he, of their games. He, he's probably yeah. one of the best in the sec. Oh, he, no, he's a stud. Now let me yeah. just tell you, Keyshawn Vaughn's going to play on Sunday. Oh yeah. For uh, a uh, Keyshawn, while. If Keyshawn Vaughn played for anybody else in the SEC, you'd hear a lot more about him, but he plays at Vanderbilt. But that dude is a stud. Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, 
they don't have a great offensive line. They typically don't at Vanderbilt. They don't have game-breaking wide receivers. And right now, after losing Shermer, who's one of their all-time leading passers, uh, in fact, I think he passed Jay Cutler in career touchdown passes, uh, without him now, and like you said, breaking in a new guy, everybody and their grandmother who plays Vanderbilt is going to stack the box and just key on Keyshawn Vaughn. So it, it, he, it, one of those might be one of those deals where he's even an even better player, but the stats won't look better. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, Hey, I like Kalijah Lipscomb as a, as a wide out too. He's a new Orleans product and he's, he's played well. And I'll tell you, I love Jared Pickney at tight end. Um, another guy could be playing on Sundays. Yeah, I mean, he's a stud. So they have some parts and, um, I tell you, it's going to be uh, interesting right off the bat because you know every now and then, every every three or four years, and they've done the, done, done this with South Carolina before. This year, Vanderbilt has a home opener, conference game in Nashville, August thirty first against the Georgia Bulldogs, <laughs> and. Um, George always takes a great crowd up there because it's not a not a bad drive and it's a great trip. But for a uh, for the dog season opener, um, given that there'll be a top five team and it's at Vanderbilt, I expect there to be a lot of red and black in the stands um, for that opener, and and I think it'll it'll get some pretty good TV coverage as well. So, you know, they open with Georgia, then they go at Purdue, then they play. I have a week off and they play LSU and then Northern Illinois, which is never easy. And then at Ole Miss. Yeesh. So the, their yeah. first five games could, you could be looking at a one and four or an zero oh and five. It's, it's conceivable. Um, and you're right. When Georgia, I, I mean, people love playing at Vanderbilt cause they love Nashville and you can usually get tickets. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool road trip for the opposing fan bases. Uh, and again, much to my other point about South Carolina, who I do, by the way, think will have a, a good year. And I think Will Muschamp has a program in the right direction. I just don't think 11 win seasons are on the table right now. And what Vanderbilt did under James Franklin, winning back to back nine, nine games, not happening. <laughs> that that was a a number of things happened uh, where he was good. Vandy was good. East was down the sea parted and they went, they, they mustered up nine wins a year. Uh, yeah. uh, realistic for Vanderbilt. If you can somehow get to seven, you have a parade. Well, look, and, and I'll say this, it's not like there's no reason to celebrate uh, in Vanderbilt in Nashville right now. Okay. So they do have one game on the schedule that they circle every year against the university of Tennessee. Absolutely. Tennessee, They've owned them. Tennessee's won about 80% of those games over the years. Well, since 2012, Vanderbilt has won five out of seven. And of Vanderbilt's five victories, Mike, only one has been close. That was the 14-10 to 10 win in Knoxville in 2013. Yeah. Other than that, Vandy 41-18, 45-34, 42-24, 38-13. Derek Mason has beaten Tennessee three straight years by double digits. <laughs> I think the one last year is the one people didn't see coming. I didn't see coming because no, there was a bowl game on the line and those Tennessee kids quit. You, you want to talk about yeah. culture change? That's what they need to do. And this brings yeah. me to this interesting point because we talked about South Carolina, Kentucky. South Carolina could not beat Kentucky. 
Kentucky cannot beat Tennessee. Tennessee cannot beat Vanderbilt. And Florida cannot beat Missouri. And yet, I think every one of those is going to change this year. And Missouri cannot beat South Carolina. Except for that one. It's a big circle O struggle. <laughs> I want you, I, no, I want you to say what you said again. Okay, so you said South Carolina can't beat Kentucky. Yeah, I think they do this year in Columbia. Kentucky well, cannot beat Tennessee. That game's in uh, Lexington this year, but I don't think it matters. Uh, Kentucky cannot beat Tennessee. I think Tennessee beats Kentucky this year. Yeah, Tennessee cannot beat Vanderbilt. Tennessee beats Vanderbilt this year. Florida, like you said, culture change, big, very big. Florida cannot beat Missouri. Happening, Florida will beat Missouri. <laughs> and Missouri cannot beat South Carolina. So it gets, us, uh, gets you back to the top. And I think South Carolina does beat Missouri. So, and if you're looking for a team Vanderbilt can't beat, they, they really can't beat anybody except Tennessee, it seems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What were they, one and seven again in conference? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the one win against Tennessee. And like you said, there, there, were, like there, there was some toxic residue left over. And I, I had Tennessee late in the year and, and sat down with Jeremy Pruitt, and, and you could just tell – and he's not trying to throw kids under the bus. He could not wait for some of those kids to move on. There, there was a toxic atmosphere left yeah. over from the previous staff. Um, but I think that's changing. And again, I, I just, I, I think Tennessee. I'm not saying they're going to be Phil Fulmer, ten wins a year in the heyday, good. Uh, but I do think in the next few years you'll see Tennessee become relevant again. Yeah, and, and look, this is why you don't put too much stock in recruiting rankings because I went back and looked, and. If you look at the recruiting ranking numbers, like the, the average rank of class that fed the majority of our rosters in 2018, um, Tennessee out-recruited Clemson three out of those four years, according to the team the team recruiting class rankings, and uh, so did Florida State. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, it, it, and, and I think Southern Cal as well. So look, um, those of you that think, well, gosh, you know. My rival team is, you know, fourth in the country. Those Miami fans that are panicking because Florida was number nine in recruiting this year. Look, they've been number nine in recruiting for a while. (laughs) And we've seen what's happened. So I'm not saying never – I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter. I I think that it's good to recruit at a baseline level and within range of your peers. And then it becomes about talent maximization. But, um, I mean, it, it, a strange thing, too. Mike, for four straight years, Missouri finished with the, exactly the number 34 class in the country. How in the hell does that <laughs> even happen? Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think that that's something to kind of look out for. And, and to your point about Tennessee, you know, Butch Jones had two top ten classes and signed a bunch of guys that I wouldn't be surprised if they, they maybe aren't drafted so high, but they end up on an NFL roster and you're kind of scratching your head going, where in the heck were these guys when they were in Knoxville? Because it was culture. Um, but, you know, that, that just goes to show you it, it's, it's about more than just getting talent there because Butch didn't really have a problem doing that. He just lost complete – I mean, that, that, that it just became toxic. And you wouldn't look at Butch Jones and go, you know, that guy – he probably runs a program that has some toxicity to it. You, you just wouldn't even think that. You wouldn't even think that. No. I mean, you know, some of these other guys have strong personalities or whatever, but you, you never would look at Butch Jones and go, 
I mean, yeah, he's champions of life and all that. You'd never think that his program would become toxic. What what you would maybe think is that Butch Jones, overall, who I think is actually not a bad guy, uh, but he became desperate. And when you become desperate as a head coach, uh, people can smell that. They can see it. They're, your players can see it. Your fans can see it. Your opponents can see it. And he got super desperate. We'll talk more about Tennessee next week. But I got to say, uh, Jarrett Garantano showed me something last year. That offensive line was horrific. I mean, it was it was the worst in the SEC. It's one of the worst in the history of Tennessee football. That kid took shot after shot after shot and still delivered. And, of course, they got Jim Chaney now calling the offense. We'll, we'll get more into Tennessee next week. But um, – but I did. I did gain respect that I didn't think I would necessarily for for Garantano yeah. last year. Uh, Ole Miss, Ole Miss, two new coordinators for Luke, Coach Luke. Uh, will the force be with Luke? Is the question. Will they? The the the, the bowl bands are gone. The expectations are up, and now all of a sudden, it's no longer kind of the feel good. Let's just get through this crummy time period in our program history. We, we, we got to go through the Hugh Freeze probation and sanctions. Ole Miss now is free and clear, and uh, they hit the reset button. I like to call it, as I have for many years, the get-out-of-jail-free card. When things aren't going your way, you, you change your coordinators. Uh, they have, and so now what do we expect out of Ole Miss? Um, name this movie, Serrano Now Free and Clear. <laughs> Serrano, you remember that major major league? league, major league two is like Serrano. Oh, major free. league two. Okay. Serrano now free and clear. I, yes. I think it was major league two. Every yeah, time, I think, I, yeah. every time I hear free and clear, I think Serrano. And then there's a, another part of that that we're not going to talk about because there's a politically correct crowd out there. <laughs> um, I love, 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 love when Ole Miss opens and plays Memphis in the Liberty Bowl. Um, if you ever been to the Liberty Bowl, it's 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 kind of a sombrero looking operation, and uh, there's an old Scooby Doo scary haunted roller coaster looking thing out there, and um, it's just great. And uh, look, you, if you're Matt Luke, you can't lose that game. I've seen many an Ole Miss coach go up to Memphis opener of the season and lose, and Memphis is pretty good with Mike Norvell as their head coach. They run a dynamic offense. I don't know if the Ole Miss defense is going to be better. Um, you'd hope it will be. Uh, I know everybody's excited about Matt Corral, but Jordan Tamu is going to be a big loss. And Matt Corral is not Tamu, and he's not Shea Patterson. No. Um, you know, you lose some skill guys. I, I just – that game to me, and then the home opener the next weekend against Arkansas, where the Hogs are going to come in there. The, the, Arkansas lost a close game to Ole Miss last year. They're going to come in there wanting to have, as an improved team and not one that's patching holes and wanting to win. Um, you know, so those two games to me are critical. Matt Luke can win those first two. I think you're cooking with grease at that point because then you beat Southeast Louisiana, you're 3-0. and You have Cal coming in. Who knows how good or bad they will be. Um, you could be 4-0 going to Alabama and everybody's happy in Rebel Land. But you could just as easily be one and two going into Cal, and maybe you drop that, and you're one and three going to Bama, and then you're one and four. I mean, you know, it, it can it, this thing can snowball in a hurry, Mike, because after Bama, you got Vandy at home. They do get kind of a breather in the East. They, they play Missouri, but they have to go up there. 
Um, and then Texas A&M, Auburn, New Mexico State, LSU, Mississippi State. I mean, there, there's just no – at the end of the year, that conference schedule, you know, having to play A&M and Auburn and LSU three straight games in the conference is going to be tough. You know, I, I – I, I am glad that Matt Corral was pretty impressive in the spring game. I like Matt Luke, and I really, really hope that, uh, you know, that, that he wins at Ole Miss and stays at Ole Miss for a long time because I think he's a great guy and he loves the place. And, you know, you, you could just kind of – you just kind of see his passion for the program. And I think he's a smart coach. I, I mean, I, I think that he's he, he, he's done a good job under the circumstances. But this is another one of those programs, Mike, where – you know, they were in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago under Hugh Freeze. They started thinking about national championships and all that because they were recruiting well. And and, and they kind of would like to, to get back there. You know, Ole Miss ha- has never been to the SEC championship game. That's right. The and, only team from the West that hasn't. Yeah, besides Texas A&M. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, but, but of, the, of the schools that were there when they started. The originals. Then, yeah. I mean, Arkansas. Arkansas has been three times. Yeah. Mississippi State's been once. I mean – Auburn, Alabama, obviously have been, and so so is LSU. But so so Ole Miss, you know, th- there are still some things that that program wants to accomplish, and the question they are going to have if they have a bad year this year is again going to be, you know, we love Matt Luke, but is he the guy that's going to get us there? Um, and you know, I, I think that question will start to be answered in September, and we'll probably have a probably have a more definitive answer um, by the time the regular season ends next year. Now, I think anyone who's ever been in a room with Matt Luke for 30 seconds, and I've been in a room with him for an hour uh, for back-to-back years calling an Ole Miss game, loves the guy, roots for the guy, hopes for him to succeed. So you could put me on that list as well. But I will say this. You mentioned they lost some skill guys. They, they lost two of the most talented wide receivers in football. Who yeah. Could, could be first-round picks. And then in Metcalf and Brown. And the biggest thing is it's great that they changed coordinators uh, on defense. I mean, I, I say great in quotation marks. But I don't know if they had the horses. And no matter what they do on offense, they could go back uh, to the wing tee and the veer or run five wide shotgun every play, or you know Phil Longo's offense or the new offense. It's not going to matter if they don't stop anybody. And Ole Miss has been atrocious on defense for a while now, and I I I just don't know how much is that scheme versus I look at a defense that was outmanned. When you watch the NFL draft coming up in a couple of weeks, tell me how many Ole Miss players' names you hear. Not going to be many. Um, so I, I, that's going to be the concern to me again. You know, they, they could score 25 a game and if they're giving up 40, it's going to be a disappointing year. And that's when new coordinator, old coordinator, people are going to say, Hey, Matt Luke, the buck stops here, buddy. And that's where I'd be concerned if I'm, if I'm Ole Miss. And I, again, everybody is pulling for that guy. It doesn't get more Ole Miss than Matt Luke. And you don't find a better human being as a head coach than Matt Luke. So everybody wants him to succeed. But you know how fans are. <laughs> they might like you, but they'll be quick to fire you if you don't meet the expectations. And the, you can question how he did it, but Hugh Freeze raised the bar there. Now, I know some of those wins were vacated and everything else. I'm pretty sure that uh, 
one of those bowl games actually stood up because they suspended <laughs> the right players. I can't is it the Sugar Bowl? I think that's still. Yeah, yeah, I read that. It's one of them. I don't I pay think, attention I, to it. I mean, I, I'm I, not going to not cite that they won the game. You know, I, it was same here, same here. But uh, but I think I think the Sugar Bowl they don't have to vacate officially. Anyway, um, I, I'll be curious to see how it how it all shakes down this year for for Ole Miss because Hugh Freeze gave that program expectations that it didn't previously had. Everybody loves to go to the Grove and the square and uh, the, the girls all have their sundresses on. It's just a beautiful play. Great meals and in Oxford and Vaughn Hemingway stadium became just this really great place to enjoy a Saturday. If you won the game, that was great. If you lost, uh, you know, uh, life goes on. We'll be back here another couple of weeks. Now it's a little more cutthroat over there in Oxford. <laughs> they, 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 this is not your Tommy Tuberville expectations at Ole Miss, uh, or even David Cutcliffe, where seven wins every year was considered good enough, if not great. It's not that way anymore. So we'll see how it uh, shakes down. I, I, I will say this too, uh, Mike McIntyre. I think is a good coach. Uh, they're switching to a three-four. I, I, I'll say this because. They do have some individual players that I like. Benito Jones at defensive tackle is yes. an NFL guy. Yes, he um, is. Josiah Coatney is certainly a capable big defensive mm-hmm. end. At times last year, I like what I saw out of Willie Hibbler at linebacker and Miles Hartsfield at corner. Um, that secondary as a whole really struggled, but these guys are – I mean, it, it's, it's a bad thing that they're in a new system now because they're going to have to – have some adjustment, but I do think individually they'll get better. So I don't know that all is lost, and I, I think there'll be a slight step forward on defense when all is said and done. And then offensively, boy, you just really want a lot of Scotty Phillips <laughs> running the ball yeah. um, out there. So we'll see. But uh, and luck. you'll see more of that, yeah, yeah. because they're they're clearly not going to throw it <laughs> nearly as much as they did under yeah. under Phil Longo. Entirely different philosophy. Uh, which is much more to Matt Luke's liking. Matt Luke's a lineman, and he he doesn't want to be out there. And uh, you know, you, when you when you throw when you run that kind of offense, the good is obvious. You, you put up a lot of stats and points. Uh, the the flip side is when you're not winning, you get the label of soft. And I think that bothered Matt Luke. I think Matt Luke looked at his team and his offense and said, "We're we're a little too soft. We needed to mix things up." And so they will this year. Uh, finally, LSU played a spring game. Uh, you know, we know what happened last year. I think it was a, a pleasant surprise in, in many respects. If you were to take Vegas odds on Coach O getting fired, he probably was the leading candidate in the SEC. Uh, but not only did he survive, he flourished. Uh, they actually, this is rare. I mean, I can't remember the last time we said this about LSU. They've got their quarterback and their offensive coordinator back for a second straight year. They've had so much turnover with those two things, but he got the right kind of quarterback that they've needed for a while at LSU. Uh, and they've got a, a coordinator that's going to bring them some continuity. And if you watched any of that spring game, they actually show, you know, Ole Miss is trying to dial it back. Uh, LSU's trying to put their foot on the gas a little bit more. They're trying to be less conservative. That's been the big criticism for years at LSU, uh, a little too vanilla. So they were going four five wide out shotgun, comfortable tempo in the spring game they they were mixing it up uh so maybe this is the the new modern day lsu offense yeah you know steve insminger i'm gonna say this um dan werner who's now the quarterbacks coach at south carolina 
Um, when he was the OC at Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze, you know that, and they had that's when Bo Wallace. Chad Swag Kelly and little Shea Patterson, and they were scoring a bunch of points. You know, Dan Werner's been a coordinator in college football for a long time, and if you look back at his Miami teams that he was the coordinator for, or really the first time he was at Ole Miss when Coach O was there, yo, yo, yo. it's it's completely different. I, he went and learned the RPO game. He went and learned, you know, spread concepts. Same thing with Noel Mazzoni. A veteran guy that's evolved over the years. And I think Steve Ensminger did the same thing. And, you know, a lot of times fans and analysts, they, they kind of, when you look at coordinator hires, you go, you know, older is not always better. You know, unless you're talking about just a, just a guru like, you know, brother Bill Oliver back in the early 2000s and 1990s on defense. But, you know, you, you always want the next thing, especially offensively. You, and you see, so you don't equate Steve Ensminger with high-powered, up and down the field, creative offense, but he's done it. And and the assistant coaching hires that that they've made, um, the guy they brought in from the Saints. I mean, you know, they're committed. I think um, to going faster, and, and I think that's good. I think Coach Orgeron on paper made a great hire with Matt Canada. But if you look at Matt Canada and kind of his history at different programs, he, he's a guy that's, let's just say not afraid to speak his mind and complain <laughs> about things. And so that didn't work. And so Orgeron brought in his buddy and said, Hey, I want you to, I want you to go fast. And he has, and I was impressed by that. And so would Joe Burrow back, you know, I, I think LSU will be able to put some points on the board. You know, we're talking about, and I love their personnel every year. And I do think they're going to fill the spots on defense just fine. Um, you know, key thing for me, uh, two of the first four are away from home. September 7th at Texas against Tom Herman, who was the first choice for that job before mm. Orgeron got it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be big for Texas out in Austin, big for LSU. I bet LSU brings 12,000 fans out there. Um Look out, Longhorn fans. <laughs> this bunch, of, they're going to come out. <laughs> and so it goes Georgia Southern at Texas, Northwestern State. And then they go, at, we talked about Vanderbilt earlier, at Vanderbilt um, up in Nashville. I guess they're the rotating opponent this year. Then they got Florida, of course, like they always do. But, you know, I, I think if you get through those four games, fine. Then you got Utah State, Florida. You know, end of October – at Mississippi State, then Auburn comes to Baton Rouge, then you're off, and then you're at Alabama. That Auburn-LSU game, Mike, this year is is later than it normally is. It's uh, the last weekend in October. It's usually like 1st of October, end of September. Um, so it's kind of in a different place on the schedule this year, which I hate uh, when they move them around like that. But, you know, it is what it is. So uh, I think that's uh, that's a key stretch for this football team. Um, right there, Auburn, Bama, Mississippi State, two of the three on the road. Uh, and, and I think, too, that, you know, obviously the next step for LSU is to get back in contention for the division, get back to Atlanta, beat Alabama, you know, that type of thing. Because uh, I think we're, I think it's been since 2011, last time they won it, the, the SEC West. So we're going on eight years now. Yeah. 
yeah, back then it was, you almost felt like LSU was on a level playing field, but boy, boy, has that changed, uh, over time. Nobody in that division's on a level playing field with Alabama. Nobody in the sec for that matter has been the closest has been Georgia. The, the one team from the East that can actually play with them right now. He is JC Sherbert. I am Mike Morgan against the JC and Morgan podcast. Before we turn our attention to maybe what spring games to look forward to this weekend, or to remind everybody of the fine folks at BP Skinner Clothiers, led by Brent Skinner, located in the Southeast, but no matter where you're listening to us nationwide, he will come to you. That's right. He does it for well dressed people, businessmen, coaches, broadcasters, you name it, anybody. If you want to look your very best, you want to have your custom-made shirts and suits, you want to have the best accessories, even some of the casual stuff, spring wear now, they carry it all, and Brent Skinner will come to your home or office, size you up, and make sure you are ready to go. You don't even have to leave the friendly confines of your home. Who wants to go and go to a retail store and deal with all that nonsense? Just go ahead and make an appointment today. The phone number is on the website which is bpskinnerclothiers.com. It's bpskinnerclothiers.com. Brent Skinner does a tremendous job. He will take terrific care of you. Believe me, I speak with experience on this, and I get so many compliments. And I know it's not me. It's the clothes. They say clothes make the man. Well, Brent Skinner can make you a better man just by the way you look. So go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. All right, this week's huge uh, in the way of spring games, including Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia. We talked about Tennessee. Uh, how about Auburn? No, oh, big year for the Auburn Tigers. Disappointing year last year, but this is so. T- this will be so Gus Malzahn, where two years ago, let's fire him. But we, we beat Georgia and Alabama when they're ranked number one. We, we got Arkansas flirting with them. Give him a raise. Give him seven million a year. <clears throat> Last year, preseason expectations through the roof. Disappointing year. Jared Stidham back. Didn't matter. Disappointing year. I don't like that Gus Malzahn anyway. So it, it's typical Auburn. It, it would be so Gus with people maybe a little bit down on Auburn for them to go ahead for them to go ahead and have another magical season. How do you see it? Oh yeah, I, I never. You know, whenever I'm high on Auburn, uh, they disappoint me. Whenever I don't have expectations, they, they sort of surprise me. So I, uh, you know, you look at it, Mike, and his tenure started so good. 12 and 2, you play for the, you're, you're a play away from a national championship. They could have won that game. Um, then you go 8 and 5, 7 and 6, 8 and 5. That's usually fireable. If you're sitting at 8 and 5, 7 and 6, 8 and 5 in years 2, 3 and 4 at Auburn University, you're usually getting fired. But, they think back to that first year, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know. And so then to come 2017, it's a, it's a do-or-die thing. I remember they scored six points at Clemson and lost 14-6. to six. They turned right back around and uh, struggled with Mercer at home. Uh, that year they blew a big lead at LSU. It was tw- this is 2017. And then they just start winning. And then they, they they won the game of all games, the, the Iron Bowl, and smacked Georgia. And so there was a time there where Auburn was the best team in college football at the, in November. In November! They go to the SEC championship game and get the rematch with Georgia. Their running backs get hurt. Injuries played a factor. Georgia beats them 
And then they lost to UCF, the national champions, in the Peach Bowl. So last year, it's back to your typical Malzahn year, eight and five. You know, they were three and five in the SEC. You know, so he's back on the hot seat. And, and I don't know that he's been perennially on the hot seat. I think that, you know, 2015 and 2016, they kind of gave him a pass because of what happened in 2013. I think this year he could be fired early in the season if things don't go well. I mean, I think that they're that. I think it was close to happening last year, Uh, you know, which is why if I were him, I don't know why he's holding on to this Auburn job like it's Wilson from the movie Castaway. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, no, seriously. I mean, you know, he should. He he, he should. I'm sorry. I look. Learn the lessons from the past. And, and look, I respect the hell out of Auburn for this. This is one of the reasons why I got massive respect for their administration. They do not care. They will fire you if you do not win enough to their liking, and they will pay a lot of money to do so. You are getting fired. I mean, you know, Gene Chizik, national championship, great. Gene, two years later, zero and eight in the SEC, you're fired. <laughs> Tommy Tupperville, pretty good football coach at Auburn. Okay, had an undefeated season. Um, you know, goes five and seven one year where he kind of tinkered with his offense too much and blah, blah, blah. You're fired. Nobody wants the job. Okay, we're going to bring in Gene Chizik. We're going to help, help him pick his staff. Uh, we're going to bring in Gus Malzahn as the OC and be dynamic. And, oh, yeah, you know, let's go get Cam Newton. National championship, great. You're fired. You're fired. At Auburn, if you Terry Bowden was a good coach, Mike. Terry Bowden didn't have very many bad years at all. He had one bad year, fired. Now there were some other things that had to do with that. Yes. But I mean, they will fire you. Since Pat died, they, they you're getting fired. And the same's true at Alabama. They just have one of the best coaches in football right now. And they don't fire him. Uh, and, and that's just that's the commitment to winning. I am stunned. Gus Malzahn is still the coach there. Big picture, I'm I'm shocked. But you couldn't have fired him two years ago when you beat number one Georgia and number one Alabama. No, but you could have said, oh, you want to go to Arkansas? Well, we'll give you like a half million a year less than Arkansas is giving you just to get you to stay because we're the better job. And just let him go home. But they panicked. They panicked. And they, they literally he got the best contract in, in, in college football. That buyout last year was $40 million. Yeah, 40. It's, it's, ins- it's insane buyout. 40. It's, uh, even for Auburn, like that's one of those where you're like, <laughs> uh, you sure you want to do it right now? I, 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 I have a weird feeling this marriage is going to last a little longer than, <laughs> than people think. I don't know. I just have a weird feeling that Gus is always going to do enough uh, combined with the fact where – uh, and I and I hate saying it like this because I've always maintained if you are so convinced that the coach you have is not the right guy for the job, I don't want to hear, oh, you know, who we're going to get. Well, you figure that out, but you but you don't stay with a guy that you think is the wrong guy for the job. Yeah, Auburn's a fantastic job. They it's can- a fantastic job. Right. But 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 here's the thing. No matter who you bring in there. You're still going up against Alabama at a time when Alabama's not taking a step back. To anybody that look, I mean, Gus has more wins over Alabama than any other active coach in the SEC, right? I mean, yeah. I, now that uh, old Hugh Freeze is gone, so uh, I, I mean, uh, it, my my only point is, 
Gus has done some good things there. I don't know if I think Gus is a great coach or not. Doesn't matter. Uh, the recruiting there is, has been consistently good. I don't know if another coach is going to go in there and start beating Alabama head to head on guys. I doubt it. Uh, at least not on the majority of them. And I don't know if another coach is going to go in there and, and beat Alabama say two out of five times. Okay. I, so at some point, if you're the administration of Auburn, you got to think of this uh, above and beyond your average fan on the internet, because you're going to be responsible for the next hire. And if, if they don't do better than Gus did, then your, your rear end's gone. Okay. Now you basically fired yourself. So I, that's why I think with all the constant talk about Gus, a hot seat, Gus, hot seat, Gus, hot seat. I think he's going to do enough where you and I might be having this conversation three years from now and he's still there. It almost reminds you of LSU last year in a lot of ways because you looked at LSU's schedule and you saw an opener against Miami. You saw Auburn a couple of weeks later and you looked at it and you're like, man, he's going to start one and two. And then everybody remembers that Les Miles was out after three games. And you look at Auburn's football schedule next year, they open with what should be, in my mind, the Pac-12 favorite Oregon in a rematch of the 2010 Fiesta Bowl, which was the national championship. I, look, Auburn beat University of Washington last year, and I don't know at the end of the year that the Tigers were a better team than the Huskies. I think they are probably a little even, and it was an even game. But if you happen to drop that one, <laughs> which I don't know if they will or not, out in Dallas, you're 0-1. you got Tulane coming in, 1-1. One one. Kent State will come in, 2-1. Then listen to these next three games, Mike. At Texas A&M, Mississippi State at home at Florida. All right, so they probably could get – so you're sitting there at 3-3, three and three, and then you got an off week and back-to-back road games at Arkansas and LSU. Now, Arkansas is not – I don't think is going to be as good as Auburn next year. But that's a game that could be an ambush. And then you got to go to Tiger Stadium. So what if you're 3-5 and five, – and you're staring down, you know, you got Ole Miss the next week, four and five, and you're four and five, and you got Georgia, and then Samford, and then Alabama. I mean, all those games are at home. They have four straight home games to end the season, but I don't know, man. And let's say let's say you drop those, and you have a losing record. I mean, I just well, uh, that's another story. Uh, if Auburn finishes five and seven, <laughs> I don't think they should. I think you know. I think if you get that Oregon game, you're in pretty good shape. And I don't know that Texas A and M is going to be all that great next year either. They, you know, and and, and then they go to Florida on October fifth, which I think is a fifty fifty game. And I mean, Auburn could start what six and zero. So, you know, it, yeah. it's just a mystery. And they got to find a quarterback, obviously. But I think uh, I think that'll happen. They got to find a quarterback. Although I'll say this, you know, Jared Stidham, who, who is going to play in the NFL, he might hold a clipboard, but he's going to be drafted and he's going to play. And the scouts still say a lot of good things about Jared Stidham. I thought he regressed last year. I mean, I, in a lot of ways, I, 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 I didn't see the improvement out of Jared Stidham. Now, some people might say, well, that's another byproduct of – Gus Malzahn, when he can't have his power backs running his typical offense, he's not a quarterback whisperer. Quarter, true passing quarterbacks do not progress in a Gus Malzahn system. You're going to hear that probably every time uh, they don't have success throwing the football. But I, I, I didn't get what I wanted out of Jared Stidham last year if I'm an Auburn fan. And so I'm not saying it's still not a big loss, but maybe not quite as big as I thought it would have been because – 
he he didn't give me what I thought he would for a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be a first round draft pick, a Heisman trophy candidate, you name the accolade. It was mentioned in his name with his name. If we were talking August of 2018, by the time we rolled around to January of 2019, all those accolades were completely out of the, off the table and, and out of, uh, uh, consideration for any of those things. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I never thought he was a great fit because I, I, number one, I don't think Auburn's had good receivers the last few years. I think some of these guys and some of the highly star rated guys were busts. They got too big, couldn't run that kind of thing. And then you had some guys that were, you know, tough, hard nosed cats out there that, that made some plays in the passing game. So I don't think he had receivers. I don't think he had an offensive line. And I think that scheme, the beauty of it, Mike, is that when you have a Nick Marshall and maybe you don't have a bunch of great receivers and, you know, maybe you you, you don't, you know, I think that year's offensive line was actually really good. But, you know, you can make things happen with the quarterback and his legs. When you don't have that, and Stidham was mobile, but he wasn't a runner, I, I think that it just it, it's just – unimaginative pass after unimaginative pass they did not have the talent at running back they normally do their defense bless their hearts played really okay football for most of the year um but it just it just wasn't meant to be and i think that team in the music city bowl against purdue took out a lot of frustration on the boilermakers 63 to 14 um and you know sometimes when you have a, a big ending like that to a season, you have a lot of confidence. You work a little harder, and you kind of rally the troops. But I, uh, I agree. Jarrett Siddham's play regressed. Let's say he was in another system. Maybe he stayed at Baylor, you know, and chunked it around the yard. And Browse was still there, or whatever. Let's you know, play fantasy land here and say that uh, even with a bad offensive line at Baylor and maybe lesser talent at receiver, I still think he does okay. I'm not blaming the scheme totally, but what I've seen is in that scheme, your guys that are better at pocket passing, that have the arm, that are more your quote-unquote pro-style guys, when you don't have talent around them uh, or you have holes at spots around them, that offense can go from Cadillac to Pinto in a hurry. Uh, certainly has at times. You look at the losses, and there are times that offense just looks – anemic um i'll throw one other team and and we're actually running over i didn't anticipate this on a day where in the off season we're not talking about games uh but that's okay i'd rather be over than under here um georgia we touched on him a little bit again obviously new offensive coordinator from is back the uh the andy dalton of the sec remember andy dalton was a hell of a quarterback at tcu oh yeah First round draft pick still in the NFL. When I look at Jake Fromm, I see a lot of Andy Dalton and him does not have the, the rocket of an arm, not the most athletic kid, but damn intangibles off the charts and very accurate and wins a lot of games. Uh, you lose. I mean, Georgia loses some talent every year, but um, to me, there's still plenty in the cupboard there where Georgia's a team to beat in the East and, Again, should be a threat to get ten, eleven wins. Yeah, look, they, they're the they're the team to beat in the East until they're not. They they've the two closest games 
the last two years against SEC East opponents have been in 2018 at Missouri, 43-29, to and 2017 at home against South Carolina, 24-10. to Those both were by two touchdowns. Those both were games that there were moments when you thought Missouri or South Carolina were, was competitive in the game, yet, you know, it didn't happen. Um, so until some team plays Georgia closer than two touchdowns in the East, they're the class of the East. Now, I'm going to go do some history here because we're, we've all jumped on the Georgia bandwagon. And and I think, is Georgia better off under Kirby Smart than Mark Rick? Yes. I will say why, though, and, and people may disagree with me. I think it's because of Sam Pittman and the offensive line. I think if you look at Mark Rick's total tenure, they had good offensive lines, not great offensive lines. Georgia is a program that needs – an elite offensive line, and they've upgraded that tremendously because they're always going to have running backs, and they're always going to want to run the football. And so if you have an offensive line guru at Georgia, which is why Sam Pittman was a great hire, and you're bringing in elite guys up front, not just, oh, this old boy here from Valdosta is pretty good. Let's stick him on out there. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a difference. So I do believe there's a difference, but 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 hear me out. First year, Mark Rick was at Georgia, 8-4. and four. They played in a bowl game in Tennessee in Nashville, played Boston College, okay? That was 2001. All right, Kirby Smart, 8-5, and five, played in a bowl game in the state of Tennessee in Memphis. Um, next year, Mark Rick goes 13-1, and one, wins the SEC. Now, there was no playoff then. Okay, Georgia probably would have been in the playoff, but there wasn't one. So he goes to the Sugar Bowl, beats Florida State. I think they finished third in the country. Kirby Smart, one more win because he got to beat Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl and then advance and play Alabama. Year three, Mark Richt wins the SEC East. Goes to the championship game. They lost to LSU, really good LSU team, coached by Nick Saban. And then they go to the Sugar Bowl. Or, or, or That year they... Mark Rick went to the Citrus Bowl and lost to Michigan State, which is a surprise. Kirby Smart goes to the Sugar Bowl, loses to Texas, which is a surprise. I think it was 11-3. and They were identical records. So, body of work-wise, this is very similar to the Mark Rick era. And I hate to tell Georgia people that because they, they, they're looking at the end of the Rick era where they were kind of inconsistent with a great team every now and then and going, well, Kirby's got it back. Kirby's, uh, you know, their, uh, the idea of success here is to keep it to where, like, last season's results where you lost three games and a bowl game you shouldn't have or whatever and, you know, won the division. That's the lower end of the final performance. You know, you can't slip back to, you know, when Rick used to go eight and four, you know, eight and five, and, and they just – they were fourth in the East or whatever – um, because that's just not Georgia, and, and you know, and I, I just, I don't see. Gosh, I don't, I don't see any sign of any other program coming and taking it from Georgia right now. Because I, I, I believe that Tennessee and Florida have been on their way back for ten years now, and they just haven't. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I think, that, I think that's it. I, I think that I'm more sold on Georgia now because of their offensive line, because I think that's totally upgraded. But I'll caution you, 
it, the, the results the first three years have been identical to Mark Rick, with the exception of the national championship game. Uh, yes. Uh, and they should have been, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but they should have beaten Alabama and Atlanta last year. Um, uh, to me, I, I get what you're saying and the numbers back it up. It just has a different feel to me than it did under Mark Richt those those first few years. I, I I'm not saying that Georgia can't be dethroned. I mean, I do think you know you mentioned Florida. Look, when you hire Jim McElwain as your head coach, and Will Muschamp did not work out uh, in that first go around. It's no it's no mystery why Florida couldn't get out of its own way. That and they haven't found a quarterback in ten years. Um, but I think that could be changing. I can't imagine Tennessee is going to have the drama that they've had the last 10 years. You'd have to like, you'd have to go out of your way to replicate everything that went wrong in Knoxville, uh, to do it again for another 10 years. So I have to imagine they're going to be they're Both those programs are on their way up. We've talked about South Carolina. The question is, does Georgia have staying power? I think that's what you're getting to. And I don't have the answer to that. Quite honestly, I do think, just think it's a different deal with Kirby than Mark. And I look, I'm not picking on Mark Rick. He, he obviously the, the, the Miami thing, we'll talk more about that next week because that was going to be part of my um, <laughs> fun little segment on most disappointing teams of 2018. You got a guy that wins 10 games in a row out of the gate and everybody's like the use back dog. And then all of a sudden he can't win a game. And dog. And that you, you got to add that, uh, and, and of course, when I when I'm impersonating the Miami Hurricane fan, you know that I'm impersonating, impersonating someone that never actually w- went to a class on that campus. <laughs> um, and, and so it went from ten and zero to just like this downward spiral. And then I'm in South Florida where I have family Christmas week, and Rick retires <laughs> after two years. Yeah. Um, so obviously, Mark Richt hit. I think that wall he hit was actually before that. Yeah. I, I sensed it in Athens. Those last few years in Athens, he looked like a worn out man. I don't think Kirby is anywhere near that now. No. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and look, I'll tell you this. I didn't mean to step on you there, but Rick went 13 and one, 11 and three, 10 and two, 10 and three, nine and four, 11 and two, 10 and three. Mm-hmm. And he won one, two, three, four division titles. All yep. between 01 and 08. He's one of the best coaches in college football. Then it started to slip. And you slipped to 8 and 5 in 09. You slipped to 6 and 7 in, in 2010, where you lost to UCF in the Liberty Bowl. 10 and 4, 12 and 2, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, and then the final 9 and 3. And then every time they got on the field against Alabama, with the exception of 2012 in the SEC championship game, another game against Bama they should have won. Um, I tell you, when they play Bama in Atlanta, it's close normally. The three oh, times great. they have, yes. Uh, oh yeah, I've been, classic games. I did not, I did not go this past year, but I've been the other two times: once at the Dome and once at Mercedes Benz for all the marbles, and they're two of the best games I've ever seen. But yeah, you could see it, and and, and I want to make it clear that I am not saying that Kirby Smart is no better than Mark Richt was from '09 to 2015, because I think clearly he is. He's I think he's similar to when Mark Rick took over the program at the beginning of the decade. And keep in mind too, that at that point in time, 
02 was the first time George had won the SEC since 1980 when they won the national championship right. or 82. I think it, it was a long, it was 20 years. Yeah. So, so he was, he was, he was kind of trying to get them way back rather than, you know, building on a, a solid foundation. Um, and I'm not saying what Kirby's had to do has been any easier because you do have the, the red elephant to the West instead of the elephant in the room in Alabama. But, um, you know, I, I just – I look at the pattern and I, and I think that, you know, Georgia, class of the SEC East. Uh, but right now, you know, quite frankly, they, they need to win a national championship, um, which would be the first time since 1980. Uh, I think to sort of validate, you know, their program. And quite frankly, Georgia should have multiple national championships. They, they are set up as good as any in college football to do that. Oh yeah, I mean that's been the long look. That's been the the worst kept secret of all is that there's no reason why Georgia shouldn't have won another national championship since 1980. Uh, it's one of the biggest mysteries in college football. Uh, hiring people like Ray Golf certainly doesn't help the cause. But 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 now, I mean, look, Mark Richt was a quality hire, did some good things, and and then the program was not a disaster. Uh, you know, we we talked about the jobs that that the, the coaches, uh, other coaches in this, in this division had to inherit. Uh, Kirby Smart did not inherit a disaster. Say what you want about Mark Richt on the way out. The program was in pretty good standing. What's ironic is that one of the biggest criticisms, criticisms of Mark Richt was not a good disciplinarian, didn't have control of the program. And then you read the headlines in the last few weeks, and it's six guys have been arrested Six football players have been arrested at the University of Georgia. It's kind of like, okay, I've seen this movie before, Georgia players getting in trouble. Why can't they do a better job? And look, everybody has this, so don't throw stones when you're living in a glass house. But it's it's the volume. It's the volume at Georgia that even I've got a lot of friends who are Georgia fans. They're disturbed by it. They don't they don't right away just go, oh, yeah, well, well, what about this school? A lot of them are just flat out tired of hearing this kind of stuff. So that's something I'm sure Kirby will be forced to address at SEC Media Days and everything else here in the near future. But uh, but no, I, I think, look, they played in one national championship game. They narrowly missed the playoff last year in a game they had before they before they kind of squandered it away in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Uh, and, and there's no reason for me to believe they're not going to win the East again this year. Not as long as Fromm is, is the quarterback. And so if, if they can win three straight Eastern divisions, go back to Atlanta, uh, and if they win, if they win somehow, find a way to win it. Obviously, they're going to the playoff. We know the SEC championship is not going to be left out. So uh, all is pretty good in the land of Georgia. And oh, by the way, DeAndre Swift might be the most exciting player in college football this year, and I hope he gets minimum 20 touches a game. If I'm watching a Georgia football game, I better see number seven in red get the rock 20-plus times a game because uh, that kid is the real deal. Absolutely. And, and, look, I mentioned the opener at Vanderbilt earlier. The, the schedule for Georgia sets up very, very nicely this year. They Now, they do have A&M. Um, the week after they play Auburn, I, I guess the, the SEC did away with SoCon. They listened to our podcast about SoCon Saturday <laughs> and put some different games there. But, man, look at this. At Vandy, Murray State, Arkansas State, Notre Dame comes to, to Athens. And, look, I, 
I know it's great to have the Irish coming in and all that, but the, uh, Notre Dame's not going to be able to stay on the same field with Georgia in Athens. At Tennessee, sometimes that's a good game. Most of the time it's not. South Carolina comes to Athens. Kentucky comes to Athens. Then they got an off week before they play Florida. Then Missouri comes to Athens. Auburn is at Jordan-Hare. A&M comes in, and then they're at Georgia Tech, which is probably going to – it's probably going to be two or three years before they can even field an offense. <laughs> um, so, look, man, it's it, – it, it, unless they stub their toe at Auburn, and we don't know if Auburn's going to be even good next year, Georgia's got a clear path to 12-0 and before they have to play, you know, Alabama or whoever uh, at the Dome. So – this may this may not be a team that top to bottom is as talented as the last two Georgia teams that Kirby Smart's had, but I think they have a much clearer path. There's no road game at LSU. You know, the chances of Auburn being as good as they were in November of 2017 are slim to none. Um, and there's nothing there's no like road game at Notre Dame like there was two years ago where there's a one point game early in the season with Fromm at quarterback. There's nothing like that, Mike. Tennessee, could that be a, a problematic? Maybe. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think – I think you look at the schedule and you're like, huh, this is a good year to be a Georgia Bulldog, and nobody's talking about that. No, good point. Good point. I think we can uh, we can end it on that note. This is what I love about college football and what I love about our podcast. Not a single game going on. We covered about half the SEC, and we're over time. That's okay because we're, we'll do it again next week. we got more time. We, we, we make our own rules here on the JC and Morgan podcast. We're not restricted by time. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. By the way, I did think it was funny spring football games. You know, they are what they are. TCU canceled theirs because of quote injuries and lack of depth. Old Gary Patterson said the hell with this crap. I don't got enough. I don't got enough players. I love Gary I'm, I'm going to go play golf. And uh, Southern Cal did a spring showcase. They didn't even bother to call it a spring game. We're, we're, we're drifting farther and farther away from anything resembling an actual even scrimmage at this point. They really are just showcases, but they gave us an excuse to talk college football and that's what we love doing. And uh, next week we'll, we'll get to more of that, more of those teams that we did not cover. Plus have some fun. Most disappointing 2018 teams. Who's going to be a disappointment in 2019 might be another thing we uh, look at as well. Oh, and I do, we'll mention this uh, before we sign off because it just happened literally right before we went on the air uh and people might say well I, I i don't really care about tv rights and all that but you should because tv in case you haven't noticed pretty much controls college football uh it, all these things dictate what conference is going to have an edge how what what teams are going to be able to afford to pay uh, over $5 million a year for their head coaches. But the Big 12, which has been behind the eight ball ever since they nearly disbanded as a conference, and a lot of people think they still will if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State go to the SEC, just one of the potential scenarios. But now, uh, so the Big 12 has been behind the eight ball. you got the SEC network, the Big 10 network, the ACC network is about to launch the Pac-12 tries to put on a network. I'll let you be the judge of how successful that is. Uh, and and that, but the Big 12 sitting there, they don't have anything, right? They've got a they've got a, a a deal with Fox and a deal with ESPN, but they have no network. They've got a number of games that aren't televised national, nationally. Well, that's going to ch- change sort of the uh, 
and again, this just came out like an hour before we signed on. ESPN is deepening its ties to the Big 12. They've agreed to a new rights deal that will see ESPN and ABC carry three more of their championship games. So that'll take them through 2023, along with adding plenty of college basketball inventory to ESPN Plus. And as I understand it, some of those football games that nobody else, you know, the out-of-conference games, what have you, they'll be available on ESPN Plus, which nowadays, if you have Apple TV or whatever, you can take your ESPN Plus and put it on as big a screen as you want. Uh, basically what this did, it filled out their lineup. You know, they had a lot of games that were, for lack of a better term, an orphan. And now ESPN has said, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and cover this because it looks like Fox just wants to cover the biggest of the big when it comes to Pac-12 and 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 the Big 12. But for the most part, they don't want to go all in. ESPN has said we will go all in. And so it, it is kind of a de facto Big 12 network, as I've heard it described uh, by people in the industry, to where they don't technically have their own channel like the other networks do, but this is the closest thing to it. So uh, if you're a Big 12 fan, it's there's nothing bad that comes out of this at all. It's only good news. And when they, when the rights are completely up in uh, what, 2023, 20, 24, somewhere in there, uh, they'll have another bargaining chip, I guess ESPN will to say, Hey, stay with us and uh, we'll, we'll cover it the way it should be covered. All right. That's uh that's taking inventory on that and everything else. And we got to say goodbye for now. JC, some closing thoughts. Uh, yeah. Happy for the, uh, the big 12 folks um, getting, you know, more publicity. I, I, I'm not happy. I mean, I don't care about Texas and Oklahoma. They get plenty of publicity. But for your Kansas States and Iowa States and Baylors and TCUs, and I don't even want to talk about Kansas, but <laughs> shout out to Les Miles for – who did he get a little boozy at the at the spring game at Kansas? The hat did? That was awesome. Nice. But anyway, you know. One guy ate grass, another guy smoked it. Yeah, I mean, like, people don't understand how good of a coach Matt Campbell is because Iowa State's on at 10 o'clock on a Thursday or they're on one of the Fox channels or something like that. And, you know, so I, I think it's good. And there is a, a, a West Virginia, too. I mean, there is an exciting brand of football that they play. It's different. Um, so hats off and uh, hope my boys out at the Pac-12 get going. But, yeah, I, I think this was great discussion. I think that, you know, we can have another great discussion next week as we plow through the spring games. Um, and on into the off season, uh, looking forward to to really digging in. And before you know it, Michael, uh, we got uh, we got four months till we kick it off again. Oh gosh, I I, I can't even think that far ahead. A hundred, uh, we're closing in on a hundred days till kickoff, my friend. Wow. Well, in the meantime, I'll be in Nashville calling Vanderbilt, Arkansas, highly two highly ranked teams that could be Omaha bound. Uh, JC, I know you'll be tuning in for the very best college baseball coverage uh, provided on the SEC Network and ESPNU. Until then, we say so long, but we'll be back next week with another installment of the JC and Morgan podcast. Thanks again to Brent Skinner, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Check them out uh, without them. But we'd still do this, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun or as lucrative. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. We'll see you next time.